I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Almost every sound in Scottish is done in front of your teeth. Right. Because it's cold. It's cold. We don't have to move our mouths too much. You always see in those northern countries where the, it's your lips are always very close together because so they're very cold. Sort of pursed lips. Same with Russian. Very cold Russia. Don't if your mouth very wide open. Mm. Same in Minnesota. Yeah, <laughs> Canada, you know, you don't open your mouth very much. Meanwhile, down in the south where it's a hundred degrees and balmy. Your mouth is wide open the whole time. Benoit Blanc? <laughs> is that you? I wish. Is the, has there been a murder? No one will ever do an accent as well as <laughs> Daniel Craig doing Benoit Blanc. I saw some people complaining about it today. A lot of They're people like, complain. I'm from the South and that's not how, we, you know, whatever. I was like, it's a very affected Southern accent. It's not a, you know, I, I know you're not going to go out in Atlanta and hear that accent in the wild necessarily the man is literally playing a cartoon character like right. <laughs> it's not supposed to be i'm fine with it <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing i could listen to it all day long there's only one accent for me i can't even do it <laughs> there's only one accent there it for is me. it's not even i can't do it. i'm not daniel craig daniel craig and rachel vice i would love to do them on the show oh yeah i would do i would, I would I mean, love I would to do, do them, them. I know on you the would. show <laughs> <laughs> on the show? You don't make people listen to that? I'm just saying it would be our most popular episode. <laughs> you don't know that. Have they, has anyone ever done a porn podcast where you're just listening to someone Probably. doing it? Probably. I'm sure there's erotica podcasts, obviously, but sure. like just somebody gasping and moaning. What? You okay. don't see anything? Is that hot or not? Hot or not? Hot or not? Audio <laughs> just porn. <hearing> audio porn. <laughs> no, no titties or dicks. Nothing. Just huh. You just hear it. Slapping sounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, that like, did not turn me on, weird. whatever you just did. <laughs> weird moistures. <laughs> <laughs> That's ASMR, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's some. That's a good point. I'm yeah. sure there's some erotic Some people ASMR. get very turned on by their ASMR. Mm-hmm. Okay, I decided the ASMR that I want is Rachel Weiss making out with Daniel Craig, <laughs> but he's doing the Benoit Blanc voice. <laughs> <laughs> I want to fall asleep to that. <laughs> well, hey, everybody. How's it going, y'all? Uh, I'm Eli. I'm Diana. Welcome to the show in yeah. this new year. Uh, new Year's. It's, it's our, okay. It's our second episode of the year, but it's our New Year's yeah. episode, I'm going to call it. Yeah. That's just how sure. the timing works out around here. <laughs> but I did really want to do this one, you know, as close to New Year's as possible. Because, mm-hmm. you know, y- look, year after year. I don't know about you, but I find myself asking the same question around January 1st. 
what's my New Year's resolution? Now, I think the most important question around January 1st is, what the hell does Auld Lang Syne mean? Oh, well, yeah. All right. That one does come <laughs> <But> up. <laughs> every year I ask it, every year I Google it, and I go, oh, yeah, that's right. And then I spend the next 12 months forgetting what it meant. It um, never does come up again no. any other time of year. It's not like uh, June and you're going, wait, Auld Lang Syne, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> no, you just forget about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this year was a little different. I asked myself, wait a minute. Who wrote Auld Lang Syne? It's literally December 31st. I asked myself this question, Googled it. And of course, the answer is the famous Scottish poet Robert Burns. And he's a pioneer of romanticism. He's the national poet of Scotland. He is a celebrated lyricist across the globe. But come to find out, lucky us, <laughs> a lot of his work was inspired by his many loves. Ah. And particularly with the whirlwind romance he had with the Belle of Mocklin, Jean Armour. Ah, Jean. So, I mean, just serendipity. I happened to look this fact up and it ended up being a ridiculous romance episode. Lucky Yay. us. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let, let's dive in. Let's hear the story of Scotland's most romantic poet and the woman who held his life together. Let's go. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Robert Burns. Oh. He was born in 1759, just south of Ayr, on the southwest coast of Scotland. His father was a tenant farmer, and things were rough growing up for them. Uh, Robert had to do a lot of the physical labor, just by nature of being a boy on a farm, you know. That's in, why you have kids. Yep, in the 1800s, <laughs> when you got a farm. especially. Uh, now, his father did teach Robert uh, and his six younger siblings a lot of the basic subjects, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic and all that. But Robert never really got much of a formal education growing up. Then when he was 15, remember, he was the oldest son. And so he was kind of the main man on the farm and he headed up most of the physical work. And there was a young girl named Nellie Kirkpatrick, and she lived uh, a few miles away. So she would walk over and help on the farm. And Robert one day heard her singing. And he had always thought that songwriting was this like very complex thing that, you know, only brilliant and educated folks could do it. Like that, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. Only special people write songs. But he heard this girl singing this song and found out that it had been written by some local village boy. Uh-huh. Like he wrote it because he fell in love with some girl and he wrote this little song. And Robert said, quote, I saw no reason why I might not rhyme as well as he. Thus with me began love and posy. Posy, posy meaning poetry. Posy. Posy. I kind of love that. Posy. Isn't it beautiful? Nelly inspired Robert to write his first verse. Mm-hmm. And that brings us down to Posy Corner for a selection from Once I Loved a Bonnie Lass. Once I loved a bonny lass, aye, and I love her still. And whilst that virtue warms my breast, I'll love my handsome Nell. A bonny lass, I will confess, is pleasant to the eye, but without some better qualities, she's no alas for me. Tis this in Nelly pleases me, tis this enchants my soul, for absolutely in my breast, she reigns without control. Aww. I, I like love that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I reign without control. I reign without control in your breast. Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I that's think very so. very lukewarm. No, uh, I, I you do. It's just, you know, is it a good thing or is it disastrous? I know. I'm kind of sorry I asked. I'm not turning out great in this story. <laughs> no, but I like in the middle stanza there, he says, you know, she's, she could be beautiful, but mm-hmm. if she's not also some other good things, not for me. She's no alas for me. That's that's about you. You're beautiful. Oh. But so what? If you were dumb or annoying, <laughs> I wouldn't care. So what? <laughs> <laughs> but you're smart well, and delightful. Good. I'm glad I'm not dumb and annoying <laughs> to my husband. <laughs> All right. So Robert's father was struggling to turn a profit on his farms. And the family moved several times. So poor Nellie was left behind. And when Robert was 20, a friend of his read some of his lyrics. And he's like, 
dude, these are fire. You should send these to some magazines, get published, you know. And that gave Robert the confidence to pursue poetry like more seriously. So never leave off a word of encouragement to your art- True, very artistic helpful. friends. Yeah. <laughs> So he starts writing more and more after this, and he began to have his poems and songs published. But while Robert was writing, he was still working the farm with his brother Gilbert. His recognition as a writer was growing, but that didn't pay the bills, Mm. historically nor today. (laughs) And when their father passed away in 1784, when Robert was 25, they ended up moving the family to another farm at Moskiel in Mochlin. Mochlin is this small town just northeast of Ayr, and it's known for its granite and sandstone, as well as clockmaking, and apparently for its smoking hotties. Ow, ow! In 1785, just a few months after he arrived, six women inspired Robert Burns to write a song with one woman standing out above the rest. So let's go back down to Posey Corner and hear the bells of Mochlin. In Mockland there dwell six proper young bells, the pride of the place and its neighbourhood all. Their carriage and dress, a stranger would guess, in London or Paris they'd gotten it all. Miss Miller's fine, Miss Markland's divine, Miss Smith she has wit, and Miss Betty is bra. There's beauty and fortune to get with Miss Morton, but armour's the jewel from me of them all. Uh, beautiful story. Uh, six ladies have definitely inspired me to write some poetry in the past. <laughs> but there's always one. This there's is really the mambo one. number five of its time. <laughs> <laughs> a wee bit of Miss Miller by my side. <laughs> a bit of Miss Marklin so divine. <laughs> So good. <laughs> also want to say about Mocklin, I said it was known for its granite and sandstone. Uh, they also famously make curling stones for the game oh, curling. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, it was uh, kind of the number one industry there for a while. I mean, There's isn't that a, granite. a Scottish game? Like, I mean, it's, it it uh, originated in Scotland, I Maybe. Think, I couldn't speak the history off the top of my head. I know they love it in Canada, too, but oh, I would okay. guess... The Scots came up with it. Scots love games. I just see them throwing big rocks, you know, they, <laughs> like the, heavy things. Yeah, they you love know, hurling rocks, <laughs> trees, and Spears, then smacking you know. tiny little golf balls, too. The, you know, that. small and large, yeah. multitudes in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> now, in 2017, Tony Grace of the Calgary Burns Club published a paper called The Real Gene Armor, Robert Burns's Bonnie Jean. And it's one of the most detailed accounts of Jean's life and her relationship with Robert. So we're borrowing a lot of the work the Calgary Burns Club did here. So we'll toast some doers to them tonight. <laughs> That's right. Cheers <laughs> to the Calgary Burns Club. <laughs> Thank you for all the information. They actually, they sound like a lot of fun. They, yeah. I guess they started in 1964 and uh, they focus, they foster an interest in Scottish literature, art, and music by sharing its talents with the community and through supportive events involving Scottish cultural activities. Fun. I would totally go to some Scottish cultural activities. Right? Probably to watch some big rocks get thrown across right? the field or something. Hopefully they don't hear this episode and our accents and say, no, you're not, you're not allowed here. It's all from love. <laughs> we love you. Okay, so Jean Armour. She was about six years younger than Robert. She was born in 1765, and her father was James Armour. He was one of Mocklin's central characters. He was like a highly respected Freemason, a tradesman, and a builder. He owned a bunch of properties. Everyone sought his advice. And he was a pillar of his kirk, or church. And he was also very rigid and conservative in his beliefs. He really, to me, comes off as like the dad in Footloose. Oh, no dancing. Yeah. Although I think everybody danced, so he wasn't like anti-dancing, but he was definitely just that sort of strict. This is how things are done around here. There is a time and place for frivolity. Mm -hmm. Now, Jean and her father had a great relationship. Just one of those perfect daddy-daughter, like, she's the apple of my eye, he's the man I worship uh, (laughs) kind of thing going on. He taught her to read and write, which was also unusual for a girl her age at the time. And she also grew to be an amazing singer and the most popular dancing partner at the town's weekly dances. Yeah. In 1785, she was at one of these dances when she saw this new poet in town, Robert Burns, trying to dance with all these other ladies. But every time he danced, he got interrupted because Robert had a border collie named Lua which is Gaelic for swift. 
But this dog was obsessed with Robert, and he went everywhere he did, including to this dance. And every time Robert went in to invite a lady to dance and started dancing, Lua would jump up and try and cut in. Gene actually overheard him say to one of his dancing partners, quote, I wish I could get any of the lasses to like me as well as my dog. <laughs> but he keeps getting collie blocked. <laughs> collie blocked, though. Well, Robert and Gene didn't meet that night. But maybe Lua knew none of those girls were right for Robert because later that year, Jean and her sister Nellie were out spreading their laundry on the village bleaching green to whiten in the sun. I love the village bleaching green. Oh, I know, I guess it must be where everybody goes to whiten their sheets in Uh, the sun. It is one of those things where, in my mind, it's so pastoral and beautiful and I'm just seeing those green rolling hills Mm -hmm. and then I'm like, yeah, and the bugs (laughs) and the dirt and the... There's no air conditioning and oh. stuff. And I'm like, yeah. Well, and also this village bleaching green was probably like the only patch of sunshine in the entire place. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> so that's right. why they had to be like, this is where everybody goes. <laughs> so they did their, they laid everything out and the sisters lay down to kind of rest in the sunshine and enjoy it. When suddenly Lua came running up and started trampling his dirty paws all over their white sheets. Oh. Now, that would be annoying in today's age, but when you had to scrub everything by hand, <laughs> obviously, right. you get real mad about this kind of thing. So Gene and Nellie freaked out. They started yelling and throwing stones toward the dog, trying to scare it away. And Robert Burns walked up, like, ready to fight these girls that were throwing rocks at his dog. <laughs> but then he saw Gene and realized, like, oh, she's pretty good looking. <laughs> so he decides to impress her instead. Robert walks up and he takes a firm stance, puts his hands on his hips, and he says, quote, If you had any respect for poet Burns, you would not be throwing stones at his poor wee dog. And Jean, you know, she cocks her head to the side, takes one look at him and clip back, quote, I have no respect for poet Burns, nor has anyone else in this town that I've heard tell of. You roasted. <laughs> Robert, his jaw just dropped and his face turns bright red. He's just like, oh, dare you say that to me? <laughs> he is totally speechless. He'd never been spoken to with such disrespect. And they just stared at each other in stunned silence for a moment. And Jean saw this guy's face like turning purple. <laughs> and she just bust out laughing. Okay. Robert, of course, at this moment, softens to probably realizes how ridiculous he looks. Right. He's like, I guess that was a little arrogant yeah. for me to say. <laughs> so he helps Gene gather up the sheets and take them up to the pump for a rinse. And they are just talking and laughing the whole time. So much so that Gene's sister, Nellie, just rolled her eyes and went home. She's like, <laughs> OK, these two are on a thing now. Mm-hmm. Bye. <laughs> I'm done waiting. But she was worried for Gene because she was acting glaikit or foolish or silly. Oh, and uh, Burns was a very handsome young man who was known to be pretty flirtatious. Well, she was not wrong to be worried. And we will hear about all the chaos that Robert would bring to Jean and her family's life right after these words. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Bring it every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. 
Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Thank you, Scrooge McDuck. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, this is one of the things I love, though. Uh, it's uh, like the Scottish accent. There's like a cartoony version of it, right? Like oh, Scrooge well. McDuck. <laughs> but then you hear David Tennant speak in real life, and he just sounds, he sounds like, that. like that. It's so great. I love it. I do love it. Yeah. I love the accent. It's uh-huh. wonderful. Even the the weird words like glacis and stuff are uh-huh. really fun to say. Uh, they're so fun. All right. So by the summer of 1785, Robert was madly in love with Jane Armour, the only last for me. But her father, James Armour, knew about Robert and his reputation for being a rascal, a womanizer, and a bad farmer. Oh, no. <laughs> Worst of all. So he forbid them from even having a friendship, let alone a romantic relationship. And things got even more awkward between them when Robert's mother's former serving girl popped out a baby that everyone learned was Robert's Whoops. baby. He had knocked up the serving girl, Elizabeth Patton, before they even moved to Mocklin. Whoops. Great job, Robert. Uh-huh. But the baby, Lizzie, was really cramping his reputation. Yeah. So Elizabeth Patton shows up with this baby uh, in Mocklin, and Robert's mother was like, well, Robert, you should marry Elizabeth. I mean, y'all got a baby together. But Robert, his brother Gilbert, and all their sisters... We're like, no, bad idea. Oh. <laughs> they thought that Elizabeth was, quote, rude and uncultivated to a great degree. A great degree. Uh-huh. I love that. Like, no matter how much she loved Robert, they said, bad idea. <laughs> Robert's mother was like, fine. Instead, she agreed that she would raise young Lizzie herself. Mm. Sort of as punishment for getting this young unmarried girl pregnant, Robert had to pay a fine of a guinea. Which, uh, putting into a pretty complicated calculator here, is about 400 U.S. dollars today. Kind of cheap for... Doesn't seem like much. (laughs) Right. Uh, In addition to that, he also had to do penance before the congregation at the Kirk. But after this whole kerfuffle, James Armour, Jean's father, definitely did not want his daughter to have anything to do with this guy, Robert Burns. Well... Tough tartans, James, because Robert and Jean were going to spend as much time together as they could. Mm -hmm. Whenever James was out on business, Jean would slip out to go see Robert and they would sit in inns and taverns together. And Robert would read his poetry to crowds of cheering drunks. Yes. One of the finest audiences you can get. Uh Uh-huh. Some of his most famous poems were written at this time, like Halloween, Death and Dr. Hornbook, and The Twa Dogs. But we found another fun one from this time that was definitely being sung around Scottish taverns. Some of these cheering drunks, favorite ones, probably. So let's go back to Posey Corner for a selection from Robert Burns's Scotch Drink. Let other poets raise a fracas about vines and wines and drunken Bacchus and great our lug. I sing the juice Scotch bear can make us in glass or jug. Food fills the wame and keeps us leaving, though life's a gift though worth receiving when heavy drag with pain and grieving. But oiled by thee, the wheels of life gae downhill screaming with rattling glee. <laughs> when neighbors anger at a plea, and just as wood as wood can be, how easy can the barley brie cement the quarrel? It's I the cheapest lawyer's fee to taste the barrel. <laughs> I, I spent some time with this poem. Uh, I to, think to I really knew some of those gist. words. <laughs> <laughs> but he's basically saying, look, look. scotch is great. <laughs> you know, you can talk about your wine. 
which was kind of a wealthier drink. Like scotch sure. was the people's drink. Mm. Um, life's not a gift worth receiving if you're all sad and grieving all the time. Oiled by thee, but with, but lubricated with a little scotch. The wheels of life go downhill screaming with rattle and glee. <laughs> like, that's so fun. You should teach a poetry class. <laughs> He's basically saying, look, scotch is great. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, it, uh, it can cement the quarrel. It's the cheapest lawyer's fee. He's like, if you're fighting, just have some scotch. You'll be all right. <laughs> it's, it's a lot cheaper than... Going, taking things to court. I guess that's true. You'll either forget what you were arguing about or you'll fight <laughs> it out <laughs> like men. So Jean, very stricken with Robert, having a great time hanging out with him when she snuck away to the taverns. But she was worried about his future with this struggling farm at Moskiel. And she also knew that her parents just were never going to accept him. The Kirk, especially where they were very embedded, did not take too kindly to some of his more satirical poems about mm. organized religion. Church hates satire. They do not like it. <laughs> but despite her reservations about what their future might hold, Jean could not stay away from him. And of course, inevitably, she got pregnant in 1786. Whoopsie. Tony Grace writes that she and Robert signed an acknowledgement of marriage, which was a legally binding note, even though uh, the Kirk might not accept it because it wasn't a religious marriage. But soon, Jean had to go tell her parents, you know, and, okay, you might think that James Armour was going to be upset about, you know, his perfect number one girl getting pregnant by the exact guy that he forbade her to see. Mm -hmm. But when she told him, James Armour immediately stood up, passed out, and woke up seconds later screaming for vengeance <laughs> upon the head of the rotten piece of filth who despoiled his daughter. So, you know, I think it's open to interpretation how he took <laughs> how it. How he felt about this. <laughs> No word how he really felt about it. <laughs> yeah, tell us how you really feel, James. <laughs> now, James snatched up the letter that they'd signed, saying that they were married, and he brought it to his lawyer, who literally cut their names out of it, which effectively nullified the whole acknowledgement of marriage. Wow. There, there's no marriage anymore, which is so crazy. They could just cut names out. I know. Let like, it burn oh. the whole thing instead of yeah, like, right? well, or I've got a marriage certificate here, but God knows who it's for. <laughs> we might want to use it for someone else and just insert a couple of names. <laughs> Save a little right. time. So James is pissed and he ordered Jean to go live with her aunt in Paisley. And remember, you know, as much as she loved Robert Burns, Jean loved her daddy mm. and she accepted his plan. She told Robert Burns that she was leaving and that he should make no effort to contact her. Right. Robert begged James to reconsider, but he kicked him out and he said, never come back here again. Mm. And I'll cut more than your name out. Yeah, for real. <laughs> now, some biographers suggest that Robert Burns might have been dealing with bipolar disorder. Oh. The Journal of Royal College of Physicians in Edinburgh did a study in 2015 of more than 800 letters and journals written by Robert Burns. And they say that he had, quote, periods of intense creativity, a temperamental personality and an unstable love life, according to the BBC. Professor Daniel Smith at the University of Glasgow said that they hope the study, quote, will contribute to discussions on the links between mental illness and creativity and help to destigmatize psychiatric disorders. And then this past fall, just 2022, the actor Alan Cumming, who we all know and love, awesome. uh, did a one man show on stage where he played Robert Burns. And in studying all of Burns's letters, he told New York Times, quote, you realize he's much more fragile more florid, and often depressed. And we mention this because this is one of the tougher times in Robert's life. Mm. Jean told him that she still loved him, but her family would never allow it, and he couldn't afford a marriage anyway. He couldn't support a wife. So he wrote in letters how angry he was for Jean choosing her father's wishes over him, but he also couldn't get her out of his mind or his heart. Maybe because he was torn by this, he went back to an old flame of his. Mm. And this brings us to this episode's side piece. Okay, I guess. Mary Campbell, a.k.a. Highland Mary, and Robert had actually been seeing each other a little on the side whenever Jean couldn't get away from her father. Um, but Jean was, like, never jealous of mm -hmm. her. She was fine with it. Yeah, she was probably like... Okay, when I'm not around, you can go spend time with Mary. But Mary knows damn well that I'm number one around here. <laughs> That's right. As long as Mary knows who comes first. Uh, yep. 
Well, now that a marriage to Jean seemed impossible, Robert went back to Mary, and he really fell in love with her over the next few months. And they agreed to marry. Robert asked her to go with him to Jamaica, where they could start anew. And she agreed. She went back to her family's home in Campbelltown to prepare to leave the next fall. Meanwhile, Robert was still really hurting over Jean. Grace says that he wrote in early June, quote, One thing I know, she has made me completely miserable. Never man loved or rather adored a woman more than I did her. And to confess a truth between you and me, I do still love her to distraction, though I won't tell her so. He did everything he could to try and get her out of his mind. He went to Mason meetings. He went out drinking. He wrote poems. But nothing could stop him from thinking about her. Mm. On September 3rd, Jean gave birth. And it was twins. Surprise. Double trouble. Well, the families talked, the Armors and the Burnses, and they agreed that it was a boy and a girl. They agreed that the boy, whose name was Robert also, would be raised by Robert's mother, along with the child she was already raising of Robert's, Lizzie, his his other little whoopsie baby. Um, (laughs) Whoopsie baby. The girl of these twins, who was also named Jean, apparently that was a rule of the church, was that if if unwed couples had children, they were just named after the couple themselves. Oh, okay. I was about to say they're not very creative (laughs) about these names. (laughs) Think for a poet. He He could come up with some other names. (laughs) He couldn't think of one other name in the world. He's sitting up all night. He's got a wastebasket full of crumpled (laughs) up paper. I can't can't think of anything but Robert and Jean. Well, Jean would stay with the Armour family in Mocklin. Uh, So good on Robert's mother for bailing him out twice by raising two of his illegitimate children. Right, I guess so. She's a long-suffering lady. Right. After having, what, six, seven kids of her own. I know. She might just be like, I'll throw them in here. I won't even notice. (laughs) I don't know what else to do (laughs) besides raise kids. I've been doing it my whole damn life. Whatever. (laughs) We kept all the baby clothes from the last one. Right, yeah. Just throw them in here. (laughs) Now, even while Robert waited for Mary to return to Mocklin for them to leave for Jamaica... Robert was still hoping that Jean's parents would finally accept him. He even once forced his way into Jean's room so he could see her and the twins. And while he was there, he broke down in tears. Mm. But James never relented. And then just a month later in October, Robert received a letter saying that Highland Mary had contracted typhoid fever and died. Oh, yeah. Well, this left Robert even more depressed and confused about his future. He had raised some money for Jamaica by publishing a book called Poems, chiefly in the Scottish dialect, which is known better as the Kilmarnock volume. And it was successful quickly. It started spreading his name across the country. But Robert postponed his trip. He's probably still hoping for another shot with Jean. In November of 1786, a month after Highland Mary died, he was still fighting with the armors. So he decided to get the hell out of town and try out the big city of Edinburgh. And when he got there, he popped off. People loved his poetry, and he was welcomed in by all of the fancy writers' clubs. Oh, how nice. Welcome to town, Robert. Join (laughs) us as we write poetry. That's right. Yeah, what a cool club to hang out in. Right. I mean, Edinburgh, you know, not a bad place to go if you're a a storyteller or (laughs) comedian or anything. I hear the art scene there is uh, pretty poppin'. Pretty good. Yeah. While he was there, a tiny little side romance that probably could be its own episode, he had a sexy little correspondence with a surgeon's daughter named Agnes McLeos. And they would send secret letters to each other under pseudonyms. Uh, His was Sylvander and hers was Clarinda. Mm, Clarinda. But again, they they had quite a dalliance that we won't get into today that went on for quite a while. But she never did want to get into a physical relationship with him. It was mostly letters and, you know, uh, flirtatious hangouts. Mm. So when she turned him down, he went and banged her serving girl, Jenny Clow. Close enough. Right. Jenny Clow ended up having his baby. Another <laughs> and one. Agnes was like, this is why I did not want <laughs> yeah, to have exactly. sex with you. <laughs> I hear you're very fertile, Robert Burns. <laughs> you keep foisting these babies onto people. <laughs> and I don't want one. Now, the biographers do say that Robert Burns really loved all the children that he had. From his very first one, he felt very fatherly and wanted to provide for them as best he could, even though he often didn't have very much money. 
So he did offer to take the child from Jenny Clow, uh, but Jenny refused. She wanted to keep the baby herself. Ultimately, she really didn't want much to do with Robert, so he sent her some money instead. Uh, there's a lot more story there that we won't get into today, but uh, but Jenny Clow stayed behind in Edinburgh. Well, with all those baby mamas and still wanting to be a good father, he's kind of a old dirty bastard. Old <laughs> <All> dirty bastard. <laughs> Now, he made pretty good money off the sale of his books, but this wasn't a regular or predictable income, so he still needed steady work. Farm life was not doing it for him, and he'd given his shares of Mosquiel to his brother Gilbert long ago to help pay his way out of trouble for all the pregnancies, so kind of wasn't an option anyway. So Robert pushed hard in Edinburgh to become an exciseman. Now, there was a tax on all Scotch whiskey, and as ScotchWhiskey.com says, quote, once a tax is placed on any commodity, someone somewhere seeks to avoid paying it. <laughs> <laughs> Truer words. So the excisemen were basically tax collectors, uh, specifically for alcohol. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a very popular job, as it probably does not surprise you to hear. Seems weird for this man of the people to become a narc like this, but he just knew he had no other marketable skills. Um, he did have connections that could get him the job, so that was kind of basically all that was available to him. But RobertBurns.org says, quote, There is some evidence to suggest that he was not 100% comfortable in his profession. And that brings us back to Posey Corner for Robert Burns' poem, The Dill's Away with the Exciseman. The Dill came fiddling through the town and danced away with the Exciseman. And Ilka wife cries, Old Mahoon, I wish you luck of the prize, man. The Dell's away, the Dell's away, the Dell's away with the exciseman. He danced away, he danced away, he danced away with the exciseman. There's threesome reels, there's foursome reels, there's hornpipes and strathspaysmen. But the our best dancer came to the land was the Dell's away with the exciseman. <laughs> He's like, the devil dances with the tax collectors, right. okay? That's it. how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> but with a steady job and a bunch of newfound fame, he returned to Machlin, and that meant one more shot with Gene Armour. And we will hear more about that right after this. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Welcome back, you bonny lads and lassies and listeners. Oh, <laughs> oh very nice. <laughs> <laughs> saved it at the end there. <laughs> you throw an O oh at the end. 
It's perfect. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's our advice. If you want to do a Scottish <laughs> accent, just talk normally and then go all oh, at the end. <laughs> In 1787, Robert returned to Mocklin and he found Jean and their daughter Jean sunning themselves on the lawn. Robert and Jean senior were so happy to see each other is like all the bad blood seemed to be gone like nothing in the last year or so had even happened mm -hmm. in fact it was such a good reunion grace writes that later that month gene was pregnant again boom it's like robert can't even be within 10 feet of a woman I mean, or she's gonna guy, get pregnant this guy is <laughs> fully loaded yeah <laughs> <laughs> Now, not knowing that she was pregnant, Jean's parents were actually being shockingly uncruel to Robert. Mm. They tolerated him. They even <laughs> invited him into their home once. It was such a happy time for Jean. But Robert was going to have to take off for a few tours where he would be reading his poetry and lecturing across Scotland. But later that year, all that happiness went away. In October, while Robert was in Edinburgh between tours, their daughter, Jean, died in Mocklin. Additionally, when Mama Jean confessed to her parents that she was pregnant a second time with Robert Burns' kid, they kicked her out of the house. Mm. On hearing about this, Robert found her an apartment to stay in, and he wrote to Jean's mother to try to reconcile them. And they did patch things up, but she still was not allowed to come home, especially once James learned that Jean and Robert were still talking. Man, this guy holds a grudge. He really is like, you, if you're not done with him, then you got to be done with me. Mm. So Robert bought Jean a bed. He paid for her living costs. And he promised to help Jean in a, quote, marriage by habit and repute. Although he asked, as Tony Grace puts it, that she, quote, make no husbandly claim upon him. Yeah. So. He really, like. Didn't want to get married, I guess. No, yeah, he really things. loved Jean, but I feel like Robert was always of two minds about marriage. He, like, would meet some girl and be like, oh, my God, I love you so much. Let's get married. Mm -hmm. But also, especially at this point in his life when his fame was kind of growing, he's like, but I like getting laid <laughs> wherever I go by different people. So maybe we shouldn't do the marriage thing because I'm going to do that. You know, Wow. So he's like, I'll marry you in all but name, Jean. Uh, but I just want you to know I'm going to sleep with other people when I go to Edinburgh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Men. But Jean was also like not opposed to this. Was This is not something that bothered her. Uh, you know, his relationship with Mary Campbell never bothered her. Mm -hmm. She was surprisingly accepting of his uh, extracurricular activities. Hmm, That's interesting. I wonder. I mean, I know some people are yeah. simply don't have that problem with that. Yeah. So. Uh, but I wonder what made her so particularly like, oh, that's just Robert, maybe. She's yeah. just like, that's just who yeah. he is, and I love him. He so was certainly right. honest about it. At least there's that. Yeah. It was maybe that. She's like, I'd rather you tell me yeah. than lie. So if I freak out, you she's know, every like, time you won't tell me. Yeah, I'd she's rather you tell like, me. look at these options. I got people like my father who's like Mr. Strict, and I'm sure he never cheated on his wife, but it was just like, this is the rigid rules you live by every day of your life. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, probably other folks around town that we're all like, cheating on their wives without telling anybody, sneaking around and stuff like that. She's like, this is this ain't so bad. Yeah, maybe. It's like the humiliation of being lied to is worse yeah, than yeah. me knowing you're out for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I still know that you love me, so I don't really care. And she was, you know, for as much as a perfect princess as she was to her dad, I think as she grew up too, she she liked to be a little bit of a rebel mm -hmm. and kind of live a bit of an alternative lifestyle. You can see, I mean, it's just getting pregnant out of wedlock is, right. is pretty... Well, she, She's hanging out with poets mm -hmm. and, and singers out in taverns and stuff, you know, true, revolutionaries. A lot of these guys were Republicans, you know, uh, who were kind of anti-monarchy right. across Europe. So they were all kind of rebellious. But marking the kind of dark streak that she was on, in March of 1787, Jean gave birth to twins again. But Jeez. sadly, these two both only lived a few days. Robert. Meanwhile, knew that book sales were not going to last forever and that he'd have to go back to farming sooner or later. He would keep his excise job as backup income, basically. So he hunted down some money that he was owed in Edinburgh for some of his books. And then he signed a long-term lease on a farm at Ellisland in Dumfries. In June of 1788, he had to take six weeks of training for the excise. And during that time, Jean went to go live on the Burns family farm at Mosgiel to learn the ways of a farm wife. Mm. And while she was there, she got to spend time with her surviving son, Robert Jr., who, yeah. of course, uh, Robert's mother was raising. Mm -hmm. At this point, Robert Sr. agreed to let Jean 
make a husbandly claim of him. Ah, <laughs> oh, how romantic. <laughs> right. Well, uh, Tony Grace writes, quote, I like to think Robert came to the conclusion that his popularity in Edinburgh was on the wane and he knew no farmer could run a farm without the help of a wife. Yeah. So they entered into a civil marriage at first, which the Kirk later confirmed. They were officially married in all respects. And it wasn't until April of 1789 that they both finally moved to their new farmhouse at Ellis Land. And I should say that at this point, James Armour finally starting to come around. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, the, the fame helped a little. Uh, the fact that he w- had a steady job as an exciseman helped a little. Mm. So he and, and the fact that they did finally officially get married, even with the church, he's starting to be like, OK, with it. Or resign to his fate. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe. More likely. <laughs> so the darkness kind of turned back around because Jean loved being Mrs. Burns, the farm wife. Mm. Uh, She gave birth to a boy, Francis Wallace Burns, in August of 1789. Robert Jr. came to live with them, as did Robert's first daughter by uh, Elizabeth Patton. Remember that serving girl? And they were calling her Bessie now. They called her Lizzie earlier, probably called her Beth for a while. (laughs) Now it's Bessie, you know, all the different nicknames. (laughs) Whatever it was. And they worked all day. And then Robert worked on poetry and songs at night. And Jean was his editor and inspiration. She was an honest critic for him, and she helped his songs, especially because she was such a good singer. Remember, she was like the best singer and the best dancer when she was a kid in in her hometown. But unfortunately, the good times didn't last long, because within a year, it was obvious that the farm was just a big money pit. Robert was appointed a riding officer by the excise, which gave them a decent steady income, but it meant that he was away for most of the week. Mm. And riding up to 200 miles a week in whatever weather was going on meant that his health began to suffer as well. In October of 1789, it had been three years since Highland Mary's death, and Jean could see that Robert was getting depressed around this anniversary. Mm. She knew how much Mary had meant to him and how deeply her death had affected him. Jean really respected the relationship that they'd had. He would just walk around the barnyard at night, kind of just staring into the starry sky, And she came out to find him lying in a pile of straw. She begged him to come inside and sit by the fire, which he did. And he sat down at his desk and immediately wrote a tribute to Highland Mary, uh, which ended up being one of his most famous poems. So let's go back to Posey Corner and hear a selection from To Mary in Heaven. Thou lingering star with lessening ray that loves to greet the early morn, Again thou usherest in the day, my Mary from my soul was torn. O Mary, dear departed shade, where is thy place of blissful rest? Seest thou thy lover lowly laid? Hearst thou the groans that rend his breast? That sacred hour can I forget, can I forget the hallowed grove, where by the winding hour we met, to live one day of parting love. Eternity will not efface those records dear of transports past. Thy image at our last embrace. Ah, little thought we twas our last. Oh, heartbreaking. Man. Yeah. Sometimes you read poetry and you're like, whatever. <laughs> you get <laughs> right. there and you're like, I'm crying. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> crying. for real. And that they, you should look up. I mean, you should look up a lot of his poems. There, many of them are available online. And uh, and the translations, I guess. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> translations the are a little bit different. But uh, Jean understood how deeply he was hurt by the loss of Mary. But Robert did write frequently of his love for Jean and his poetry, too. It's one of the things Tony Grace points out in his article. Some people kind of say, oh, well, he never felt as strongly about Jean as he did about Mary. But he has several poems where he writes about her. Mm, they just didn't have as much... I guess lingering impact as Highland Mary poem did. Uh, yeah, Maybe, yeah. Get, I mean that one stood out fame. so much. Or, or they're more like embedded into poems about other things, oh, okay. as opposed to being sure. dedicated specifically to like, here's how beautiful Jean is. He's just like, one day while I was sitting happily with my amazing wife Jean, I <laughs> saw a stone, and like, and then he goes off about that. <laughs> never was i happier than with my beautiful wife the man has written hundreds and hundreds of poems so we don't have time for them all here today unfortunately but do go do some reading they're they're really beautiful 
And Jean, meanwhile, obviously put up with a lot from Robert. (laughs) Because in 1791, when she was just days away from giving birth herself again, Robert showed up with another baby he Uh, produced from an affair with a girl named Anne Park. You all dirty bastard, (laughs) at it again. Anne Park worked at the inn where he regularly stayed when he was off excising and couldn't get home overnight. Oh, yeah, I'll give you some to excise. (laughs) (laughs) But Jean looks at this baby and basically said, the more the merrier. Throw her on the pile, just like Robert's (laughs) mother. And she agreed to raise this child, too. Her name was Betty. Another diminutive of Elizabeth, by the way. (laughs) And Jean famously later said, quote, Rob should have had twa wives. (laughs) She's just like, honestly, at the end of the day, this guy should have been married twice. (laughs) Jean, she's like, I I could use some hands around here. here. Yeah. (laughs) She's like a harem. That's what you need. Yeah. (laughs) You're a harem guy. (laughs) Well, meanwhile, the farm kept getting worse and worse. And Robert was like totally over the idea of being a successful farmer. Mm. His landlord had an offer to buy the farm. And Robert was like, yes, love it. Let's move to Dumfries and live in a city house. But Jean wasn't as happy about the move. She really loved the open space of the farmland where she had frequent visitors and farmhands to help out. But now, with several children running around, they had to move to a much smaller space in a district of Dumfries called Stinking Venal. (laughs) No thank you. If you came to me and said, hey, babe, I found us a great house. Uh, The neighborhood's called uh, Stinks Like Shit Street. (laughs) I'd be like, find a different house. (laughs) Hey, babe, do you want to move to Ass Stench Park? (laughs) For some reason, I'm turned off by the prospect. <laughs> Rent's cheap. <laughs> it I'll better you, be. I'll tell you why. It's an appropriately named park. <laughs> but Robert fared better in his poetry. He continued to write for the Scots Musical Museum and another project called A Select Collection of Scottish Airs, where Tony Grace says he, quote, wrote, rewrote, and put words to existing melodies to enable Scotland to retain its musical memories. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's cool. But sadly, his health continued to fail, and his depression continued to grow with it. None of the doctor's recommendations seemed to help, though they tried very hard to save him. Jean did everything that she could to help try and nurse him back to health, But on Thursday, July 21st of 1796, Robert Burns died at home. Mm. The following Monday, thousands of mourners lined the streets of Dumfries as Robert's casket traveled through. But that same day, Jean gave birth to their last child. She named him Maxwell after Robert's best doctor, Mm. which is, I mean, poor Jean, who had to also give birth to her last child the day of her husband's funeral. That's so sad. And how sad for Maxwell to, like, be born... I know, right? ...right after his father died. Yeah. Like, that's sad. Tony Grace writes that Robert wasn't exactly broke when he died, but he didn't leave Jean very much money either. Yeah. And now she had five children of her own, plus Bessie and Betty from Robert's other dalliances. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, the excise gave her a pension of 10 pounds per year, but that wasn't really a lot for a woman with seven children. But Robert Burns had been a beloved voice of the Scottish people, and they wanted to pay him back for all he'd done for them. So a lawyer friend, Alexander Cunningham, along with another friend from the excise, John Syme, arranged to organize a publicly sponsored fund for Robert's family, and they raised 700 pounds. Nice. A few years later, Dr. James Curry edited Robert's works and wrote a biography of him, and he made it so that any profit would go to Jean and the kids. So by 1800, that got them... 2,000 pounds. So they're doing pretty good. Yeah. And all this allowed Jean to live comfortably until her kids were old enough to start earning for themselves. Now, she never remarried. She politely rejected several offers over the years because mm. she was only 31 when Robert died. Right. And still a hottie, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. But Tony Grace writes that Jean was visited by thousands of strangers over the next few decades who all wanted to see the home of the great Scottish bard. And he says that she never refused a single visitor and, quote, seemed to believe that her house and memories of the poet were in some way the property of the public. That's interesting. I I wonder if, like, 
Is it partly how she felt about him always, and that's why she wasn't really jealous when his attention oh, maybe was so. elsewhere? Yeah. Like, she's like, this is a public guy. Everybody yeah. loves him. He's not for me to, like, cage. Huh. Or was it like, oh, well, you know, we had a public fund to support me. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, yeah. that makes me feel like everything belongs yeah. to everyone now because you really, I mean, I wouldn't have it without you, you know, I think if there was maybe or, or a little both or I, I'm else. sure a little of both. But I think the former is really interesting because, I mean, he was thought of, especially after his, I mean, once his poetry took off, mm -hmm. he was really thought of as this Scottish folk hero. Like he was the one like. Like Grace said, he was preserving Scottish memories in song. Right. A lot of these folk songs that Robert wrote existed beforehand. Uh, you know, they'd be sung in taverns and stuff, but nobody ever finished them or wrote them down. They were inconsistent. Mm. He set some old poems to tunes himself. Like not all of his work was original, but it became his because he was the one who like put it in stone. Yeah, he recorded it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So I, I could totally see that where she's just like, he is everyone's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, I got lucky. Yeah. I get to spend a lot of time with him, but yeah. he's not mine, mine. Like there's no possess possession right. feelings. She actually know. ended up uh, kind of selling off or giving away a lot of his possessions, including apparently the bed he died in. Everybody wanted a literal piece of. So she would sell pieces of it and also had like, uh, you know, posts from the bed carved into ornaments that people wanted and stuff like that, too. And she gave away his gifts. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know if I, about wanting someone's deathbed, but, you know, people <laughs> maybe were they, weird. Maybe they were like, it's just his bed and they weren't thinking specifically <laughs> they did, they did, about the fact that like, he died. He didn't in it. like die in this <laughs> <Yeah>. bed. <laughs> or if he did, that's not why I want it. Right. It was just that he. Incidentally, he, he died yeah. in this bed. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, he slept in it and lived in it also. Right, yeah, I mean, exactly. It was just the last thing he did in it was die. <laughs> and I mean, just see all these kids? That's not all he did in this bed. <laughs> you know that's right. <laughs> Jean also would go regularly visit friends up in Edinburgh, and they had parties erupt all the time with just song and dance. And one time, while she was there, a young man asked Jean, who was now in her 60s, if her dancing days were over. He said, quote, I have not seen you on the floor. And Jean replied, quote, well, that's no fault of mine. Uh, She's like, nobody asked. Oh. Mm -hmm. So they, they asked her. A and challenge accepted. Right, exactly. And she stood up and she just absolutely delighted that crowd by springing into a jig, yes. showing she hadn't lost a single step over all these years. Love it. And by the end of the night, she had danced with everyone at that party. Jean is awesome. She's so cool. What Everybody a loves Jean. And that's that's again what Tony Grace is kind of writing about is that a lot of her legacy is left behind, but she was uh, in a lot of ways as beloved over the next 30 years of her life, uh, you know, as Robert Burns was by the time he died. Mm -hmm. She was just like this public figure that everybody had a great time around. She was so mm -hmm. nice and inviting and just open. That's cool. She I love seemed it. like just a had probably had some really cool energy to be around. Right. Just a warm person. It's I I have been able to find so little negativity in her. Mm -hmm. She straight up raised two of his other sons with other women. <laughs> She's like, all right. <laughs> one of them, one of them he had while they were married. Like, I mean, you know, right? The, like, you would right, think yeah. that would be where the line would be drawn. No, no. and apparently, uh, Jean and Betty were actually very close for many years, and Betty lived with her until she got married in like eighteen oh eight. There was even a fund also set up specifically for Robert's two illegitimate children. They raised 400 pounds to split between the two of them. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Jean lived until 69 years old. She passed away in 1834 after a stroke. Well, in 1788, when writing for the Scots Musical Museum, Robert Burns immortalized the song Auld Lang Syne which was borrowed from an existing folk song. But it was never printed until Robert wrote it in full. Mm -hmm. So like you were saying, it sort of yeah. became his work because was, he's the one who wrote it down. Yeah, and there was a verse or two, but he mm -hmm. wrote most of it. I see. Yeah. So he, he extrapolated yeah. from yeah. existing uh -huh. work. Now, Auld Lang Syne literally means old long since, or less literally, times long past. Ba basically saying for the sake of old times. Right. Should old acquaintance be forgot? Is it right that old times be forgotten? Mm -hmm. And then the song answers itself that we should remember old friendships. So let us take one last trip to Posey Corner for old Lang Syne. Should old acquaintance be forgot? 
and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot, and old lang syne? And surely ye'll be your pint stoop, and surely I'll be mine, and we'll talk a cup of kindness yet for old lang syne. We twa her run about the braes, and powed the gowans fine, but we've wandered money a weary fit since old lang syne. We twa had peddled in the burn frae morning sun till dine, but says between us braid her roared since old lang syne. And there's a hand, my trusty fear, and gie's a hand o' thine, and we'll talk a richt good willy walked for old lang syne. For old lang syne, my jo, for old lang syne, we'll talk a cup o' kindness yet for old lang Zine. Zine. <laughs> <laughs> you had to do the bass. <laughs> I tried, but we started too low. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> Happy New Year. You're uh, like, I was sick to death of that song. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say um, the, the tune that we hear now was originally recorded in like 1799, just a few oh, years wow. after Robert Burns' death. They're not sure if that's the tune Robert Burns intended or not. Some mm. of his songs did have sheet music included with them, and he had specific tunes, or he would rewrite words to old existing folk tunes, sure. or sometimes set new poems to old, old tunes. tunes. Maybe he didn't like the original lyrics. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to do this better. It's kind of the weird owl of his day it. in a lot of ways. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> I can fix it. I can fix it. Um, some interesting little after facts that I found, because of all the many children, that he right. had uh, of seven surviving children that that Jean raised and Jenny Clow's baby that she kept. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, between all them, it's said that Burns is now thought to have over nine hundred living descendants. Charlemagne, <laughs> <laughs> right? Among his living descendants includes. Tommy Hilfiger, uh, according to Scotsman.com. American fashion designer, yeah. Tommy Hilfiger. Uh, he told Vogue in 2012 that, quote, it was never discussed in my house because it was said that Robert Burns was a womanizer and a boozer. They were embarrassed he was related, so we weren't told until we were in our teens or maybe 20s. Mm. So that is a rumor that has persisted about Robert Burns for a long time, that he was kind of a drunk, too. Um, but Jean actually really hated those rumors. Uh, Tony Grace writes that she said, quote, never either before or after our marriage that I see him intoxicated and never once was he seen home or in the least difficulty as to dispose himself when he arrived home. So she said, no, he was never like a stumbling drunk who mm-hmm. had a hard time. Yeah, nobody that. had to like bring him home in a wheelbarrow. Right, right. Also interesting in 2009, STV, which is a I guess, a public TV station in Scotland. Mm. They ran a series and the public vote on who was the greatest Scot of all time. And Robert Burns won, narrowly defeating William Wallace. Ha! And only one of them was played by Mel Gibson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but one of them was played by Alan Cumming. I know. So who wins that? Not bad. (laughs) Amazing. What a great story and how sweet that, you know... He and Jean were clearly made for each other. Right, right. Would he have found someone like her that would have been so accepting of his peccadilloes? Right, yeah. And extra babies Uh (laughs) and all that stuff? (laughs) Uh, Maybe not. You know, she was was like the perfect girl for him. It's no wonder she had such a special place in his heart. Right, right. I love it. No, yeah. They're a great couple. I'm really fascinated by them. Yeah. Had a, uh, a great, just again, happenstance Googling that just read, led this whole story. I know. And these po- these writers, you know, they keep giving it Oof. to us. Yeah, they sure do. They did like to get, get it, <laughs> have wild lives, I guess. <laughs> Something to write about. Well, next time you're singing Auld Lang Syne, mm-hmm. you know, I know that if you're ever singing Auld Lang Syne, you're probably a little tipsy. <laughs> uh, just uh, think of Robert Burns and everything he went through. Yeah. Bring us that song. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Yeah, for sure. I loved learning about Robert Burns and really good old fun. Jean Armour, the yeah. best dancer Scotland's ever seen. Right. Um, so reach out and let us know what you thought. We love hearing from you guys. Yeah. Uh, tell us about your favorite Auld Lang Syne memory. <laughs> <laughs> True. 
<laughs> or anything else, our email is ridicromance at gmail.com. That's right. Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Oh Great, it's Eli. I'm at Diana Mite Boom. And the show is at ridicromance. That's right. And thank you so much for listening. We love spending time with y'all. We yep. will see you next time. Bye-bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rival, every rematch, Every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.